Welcome to the Ambedkar Initiative podcast series, in which students at Columbia University discuss their research on B.R. Ambedkar, a Columbia alum, and one of the 20th century's foremost thinkers on caste and democracy. I'm Anupama Rao, director of the Ambedkar Initiative and professor of history at Columbia. In this episode, Yosan Alemu speaks with Kyle Zarif about his work on Marcus Garvey and the Universal Negro Improvement Association, as well as the affinities between pan-Islamic and pan-African anti-colonial projects in interwar London and New York. Yosan is an undergraduate studying comparative literature, and Kyle is a master's student in international and world history. Hello, I'm Yosan Alamu, and I'm sitting here today with Kyle Zarif. So Kyle, could you say a little bit about your work and how you came to be interested in Embedkar? Uh, hi, Yosan. Yeah. Um, so I am a second year master's student in the dual MA in international history at Columbia and LSE. And my research interests uh, lie mostly in intellectual and labor history. Uh, specifically in histories of radical political thought in the 20th century Middle East and um, the kind of global history of labor solidarity and trade unionism. Uh, I became interested in Ambedkar uh, and his place in global intellectual history after encountering his work in a course I took with uh, Professor Anupama Rao at Columbia titled History and Theory, uh, where we read caste in India and the annihilation of caste. Uh, and what interested me about Ambedkar's work, uh, especially caste in India, were these comparisons he made, even at this much earlier period, uh, between the position of Dalits in India and that of black people in the United States. And, um, you know, his attempts to historicize caste, uh, which I saw as similar to you know, that of many early Pan-Africanists in relation to uh, race and blackness. And I also found um, these parallels and comparisons interesting in light of the later uh, correspondence in 1946 between Ambedkar and W.E.B. Du Bois, in which uh, he points out, or makes explicit, rather, the similarity between Black and Dalit struggles for emancipation. And I wanted to think a bit more about the history of this interaction. And uh, more specifically, I wanted to think about, you know, Du Bois' own conception, his own shifting conception of black people within a global framework, uh, but also how his own ideas of African history and those of other black leaders um, informed these kind of debates around the shape of a black polity and in turn how those debates shaped Du Bois's own, you know, conception later of Pan-Africanism. That is so interesting. Um, could you speak more about the intellectual world of Harlem at this time? And what were the broader, broader debates within black politics that caught your attention? Yeah, so um, the early 20th century um, sees an explosion in black intellectual production and the emergence of multiple uh, modern projects of black politics, many of which were centered around Harlem as this kind of black mecca. And of course, this is also the period of the Harlem Renaissance and of black modernist literature. 
uh, when I looked at the debates, the political debates in Harlem at this time, one that really um, caught my eye was the conflict between Du Bois and Marcus Garvey, uh, which I think sheds a light on you know, these broader debates within Black politics on these questions of history, globality, and anti-colonialism. Uh, while the conflict between Garvey and Du Bois is explicitly around these questions of mass politics and leadership, um, but it also has so much to do with the relation of the past to the present um, and also between black people in the diaspora and on the African continent. And of course, those two are profoundly linked. Could you speak more about that link? And how did people like Garvey and Du Bois connect historical arguments about African civilizations to contemporary black politics? So Du Bois was involved in you know, early Pan-Africanist organizing uh, and in this sort of rethinking of the pre-colonial uh, African past. But, you know, throughout his career, he was also grappling with the possibility of an, you know, untranslatability and an absolute severance between Africa and African-Americans. Uh, this can be seen more explicitly later on in a work like Black Reconstruction uh, and in this time during, or during this time in his engagement with Alan Locke's notion of the new Negro and you know, black modernism more broadly. Uh, for Garvey, his idea of this political transnation of black people and his quasi-imperial uh, political framework is the product of his assertion of a black historical unity and um, a redemptive claim on the part of the diaspora to the continent of Africa. And in fact, that, you know, that idea draws on a distinct conception of history and formed out of a diverse set of engagements with other anti-colonial movements uh, and intellectual currents within a broader British imperial space of which he's clearly a product. Uh, and in my opinion, um, you know, especially modernist Islamic projects, you know, pan-Islam. And what kind of links exist between Islam and African-Americans? It's interesting to look back, I guess, to who's thought of as the father of Pan-Africanism, um, Edward Wilmot Blyden. Uh, so Blyden was an early theoretician of an African race or people as a unified group, which included the diaspora. And Blyden's idea of black nationality was influenced also by, you know, European Zionism and attempts to forge a Jewish nation uh, by partial way of historical revisionism and modern vocabularies of race and nation at the, um, you know, in the late 19th century, turn of the 20th century. Um, in a lot of his work on religion specifically, he argued that Christianity was an alien religion for black people um, unable to incorporate or respect African cultural practices. Uh, in 1887, he published one of his most important and influential texts, Christianity, Islam, and the Negro Race, um, in which he you know, expands this argument and um, makes an argument about Islam as an organically African religion um, and one which does not um, contain the sort of racial hierarchies in uh, Christianity, or that he sees in Christianity. Um, 
and he thinks about that kind of like horizontal nature through this idea of the Ummah or the Islamic community. Garvey uh, was exposed to Blyden in London, where he lived between 1912 and 1914, so before his kind of more prominent political activity. During this time, he found employment at the African Times and Orient Review, uh, an, an anti-racist and implicitly anti-imperialist journal run by Dusay Muhammad Ali, an Egyptian Sudanese writer and activist. Ali was there served as the kind of link between Garvey and Blyden, um, who was on his own exploring the connections between a black nationalist politics, political Islam, and anti-colonialism. Um, could you speak more about Dusay Muhammad Ali? Um, he sounds like an interesting transnational figure. Yeah, um, he definitely was. Um, Dusay Muhammad Ali was born in Alexandria in Egypt in 1862, um, went to England as a child uh, to be educated, um, later attended and dropped out of King's College, preferring to pursue a career as an actor and playwright. Uh, he also worked as a columnist for the Fabian Socialist Journal, The New Age, and um, would establish the Anglo-Ottoman Society. Was very active in um, kind of pro-Ottoman politics uh, in the early 20th century. His journal during its run from 1912 to 1921 uh, would feature writing from Egyptian nationalists, uh, figures in what would become the Khilafat movement in India, um, and figures in the African-American civil rights movement like Booker T. Washington. And so his kind of ambiguous identity as an Egyptian, an Ottoman subject, someone who perceived themselves as black, um, also a British subject, um, kind of helped him explore these different movements in a more kind of cosmopolitan space. Thank you for that. And um, so much of our research as a group thinks about these movements in South Asia and in the United States. But what about London? And why is London so important to your work? Um, so in the same sense that Harlem would serve as the intellectual capital of Black life, you know, for African Americans in the early 20th century, uh, London here served as a kind of meeting point and cosmopolitan space for anti-colonialists from across the empire. So beyond the journal, Ali was connected to the Woking Mosque, uh, which is the first mosque established in Britain, right outside of London, um, and the Ahmadiyya movement, um, you know, this move, kind of this kind of heterodox movement of South Asian Muslims who at the time controlled uh, the Woking Mosque, and um, would be an advocate for the cause of Indian Muslims in particular, and uh, against their minoritization within India and the British Empire and for the kind of transnational ummah in general. That is such a rich history. Um, could I take you back to Garvey, and how did he come in touch with Dusay Muhammad Ali exactly? Yeah, so Garvey began working for the African Times and Orient Review in 1913 uh, as an assistant to Ali, uh, and would publish one article in the journal about, um, or giving a, sort of history of slavery and emancipation in uh, Jamaica and the British West Indies in general. 
Also in 1913, uh, Dusi Muhammad Ali helped Garvey gain a temporary reading pass to the British Library, writing him a letter of recommendation uh, to read Blyden's works. You know, and that temporary reading pass would prove to be pretty important for Garvey, as Blyden would obviously be a huge influence um, on him. But um, biographers of Garvey would also note that it was at the British Library that Garvey first encountered Booker T. Washington, reading his book Up From Slavery. Washington, of course, as I said, contributed to the first edition of the African Times and Orient Review and was a huge influence on Ali, uh, who would later, after moving to America, visit the Tuskegee Institute and deliver a series of lectures um, on African history. Booker T. would also prove to be an enormous influence on Garvey as well, especially on um, his business ventures. So how does Garvey get from London to New York? And how does his time in London influence his political activity and this conflict with Du Bois? That's a good question. Um, So Garvey would establish uh, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, or the UNIA, in Kingston immediately upon returning to Jamaica from Europe in 1914. Garvey moved to New York, uh, to Harlem in 1917, and it was there that it really formed into this mass movement, as people know it. Um, He also maintains the relationship with his mentor, uh, Ali, who moved to America in 1921 and worked at the UNIA as a foreign affairs columnist. And, you know, he also lectured at... um, different UNIA events. And if you look at his lectures from that time, you know, you can see him making an argument about ancient Egypt as a black civilization, an argument he would also make in his journal earlier. Um, That would be an enduring history for later Pan-Africanists, one which I think is more familiar now. Um, And this idea of African history was also important for, was really important for Garvey's arguments about the greatness of the black nation and his ideas about black pride and self-regard. Part of, um, part of Garvey's critique of Du Bois uh, would claim that integration would never work in the United States uh, because black people did not have a government of their own and could never achieve full citizenship under white rule. His concept of black nationhood or of Africa for Africans uh, was rooted in the notion that the black diaspora could not be free until Africa was free, and that an independent African nation or empire uh, would be the guarantor of the rights of all black people around the world. That is so fascinating. And um, could you tell us more about the UNIA and Harlem, for example? Yeah. um, So the Harlem branch of the UNIA was the main branch after 1917, But there were hundreds of UNIA branches throughout the United States and the Caribbean, um, in addition to branches in Latin America and West and South Africa. Um, The UNIA newspaper, The Negro World, um, was distributed all over the world and published in both English and Spanish. By the early 1920s, uh, the organization had grown immensely from its beginnings, um, was holding annual parades throughout Harlem and um, 
uptown Manhattan, running a number of businesses throughout the neighborhood, like laundromats, a textile factory, grocery stores, etc. Drawing thousands of delegates to its annual conferences and huge crowds to lectures and other social events at um, Liberty Hall, I think on 138th Street, and on street corners uh, throughout Harlem. The conflict with Du Bois comes during that period of ascendance for the organization. So if you look through Du Bois's correspondence at this time, you can see a lot of NAACP members writing to him, expressing concern about the popularity of Garvey's movement. And Du Bois would publish two articles in Crisis um, in 1920 and 21, profiling Garvey and the UNIA, um, mostly criticizing his business practices. Um, but there was also a real discomfort with Garvey's charismatic, if authoritarian, personality. Um, you know, other things that um, he was criticized for included you know, his organization's real authoritarianism, um, its insistence on racial separatism, uh, the use of titles like knight for its members, and this kind of adoption of uh, imperial aesthetics, uh, and the idea of a unified um, African empire with Garvey at its head. Right. And what were Garvey's criticisms of Du Bois? And how were you thinking about this conflict more broadly? So, du Bois, I think that there existed this perception more broadly that Du Bois and the NAACP um, were seen to represent an elite current of black society. So... We find Garvey definitely drawing on that perception and also critiquing the proximity of Du Bois and the NAACP to progressive white circles, um, always contrasting this with his all-black organization. Um, Though Du Bois, you know, attended conferences on African unity during the early 1900s, Garvey's movement um, was explicitly transnational uh, both in terms of his own concept of blackness and in the actual structure and reach of the organization. So I think of their, ter- their conflict uh, in terms of a broader struggle over the form of black politics at the moment of birth for a kind of global black polity with this backdrop of European colonialism and nascent anti-colonial movements throughout the British Empire. The development of the UNIA into a project of mass mobilization, you know, real mass movement, is, I think, a product, in part, at least, of Garvey's exposure to a global anti-colonial movement um, in London. Mm. It is so interesting to think about these debates in the U.S. within a broader international context, and I think your research and your insights have helped me tremendously in thinking about that. Um, Once again, thank you, Kyle, This brings our conversation to an end. And yeah, thank you. Thank you.